0: Rise before the sun. It's that time of year. Load up my gun.
1: Welcome back to, to the Healthy Hunter Show. I'm year. Dr. Brooksiller. And today I've got a special guest, a guy that I have been following online for quite a while, a guy that I've been looking to actually learn some stuff. And it's going to be great to interview him and, and glean that wisdom and share it with you as well. But today's guest is really well known here in the Tennessee area for his finding the edible delights out in nature. And uh, and he's able to take those and present those and and he's worked with some chefs to cook those up for some meals especially for some wild game dinners and so that sort. And it's really cool seeing him and the way he interacts with his family, the way he's teaching his family about the outdoors and how to forage and how to hunt and how to do all the great things that we need to know how to do just to not only survive but thrive when we get out in the wilderness. He's also uh, the founder, owner, and the man behind Perry Logic Brewery in West Tennessee. He is just a guy that I've uh, really admired and, and looked up to for some wisdom as far as when it comes to getting outdoors and, and learning a lot when it comes to foraging things. So today is my, my pleasure to have Jonathan Lodge come on the show. Thanks, Jonathan, for coming on quick caveat real quick I'm gonna tell you uh, we lost connectivity at the very beginning and it was a little iffy at the first few minutes of the interview um, we quickly went into some conservation stuff which got not political but kind of got into the political realm with talking about Teddy Roosevelt and talking about Andrew Jackson some and we talked about you know what we've done here in the state of Tennessee uh, about conservation itself. So that's kind of where we're going to pick up great information coming up. I just want to let you know why it kind of may sound a little funky kind of diving in right there, because we're kind of ending our conversation about Andrew Jackson, diving in more into what conservation we can do. But there you go. I hope you enjoy. Here we go.
0: (laughs) He was probably one of the more uh,
1: controversial figures, Uh, you
0: know, and as far as, uh, uh, you know, conservation is concerned, that man really that that time frame that that society um, conservation was really based more or less in protestant theology um and i and i mean that uh, is is neutral as i possibly can be is, is in terms of uh, politics or religion but more or less concerned with uh, how it is that we hold uh and view the natural resources uh right now we're in a time frame um, that because of the past mistakes of Andrew Jackson and his generations, uh, really you and I and and others that, that enjoy these uh, activities outdoors, it's up to us to have some hands-on conservation. And I can't stress that enough right now. Uh, CWD comes to mind, uh, the coyote boom, uh, uh, armadillos, uh, the Asian carp, a list goes on where it's gonna be up to you not only buy that license but also to get out there and to uh, do some management and uh, I mean
1: that's the hard truth of it no one wants to hear it
0: you know but that that sucks
1: yeah on here I was like the rut could hit in like a deer could be rutting in September and it could be rutting in February so you know and, and that's one of those things I think that that we need to step back sometimes and look like okay like it's not just like the rut's not that 10, and when it becomes a, if the rut's in that 10-day window, then all the fawns are going to drop in, say, like a two- to three-week window, but when, when your right, rut is, right. when your rut is, could be four months of rutting, like, those fawns are going to drop in, like, four- to five-month period, and the coyotes have that much more to, to feast on, and, you know, I think that's what right. we like, like, we, we want to preserve deer, we want to preserve our, our, our bass, and, and our turkeys. Yeah, you know we need to preserve those things, but it's also about preserving. I said per- just a balance.
0: I mean, we just need to preserve the balance.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we got to. We but need to take I mean, out a- those absolutely. things. Absolutely, I 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like the coyote hunt. Like people are, you know, if you go out and shoot a coyote, you're really saving countless deer and turkeys. Um, probably more than you can with by, by buying a membership to the NWTF
0: right and it's not even just about those deer and turkeys it's about uh the other countless ground dwelling non-game birds and uh snakes and reptiles and just the impact an armadillo man he's he is a herbivore but uh or, or i mean rather he eats grubs and insects but but really the impact that he makes on the overall ecosystem anything that's not supposed to be here and the more you get into foraging plants Uh, Really, that's where you start to realize that there is a giant just hole of European and Asiatic plants that over the last 400 years have basically moved in and and taken over. Uh, So I, I hardly ever forage for native plants because there just really isn't uh, the opportunity that you would have with some of the introduced species. That's the unfortunate fact, you know? Uh, Yeah. But, but I mean, there again, it's conservation, you know, it's about balance.
1: Right. You know, speaking of foraging, when it comes to foraging, what would be a few of the, I would say, beginner, easier, identifiable things that we can go out and find, uh, maybe throughout different parts of the year? Right. So man, that's
0: that's that's a fantastic question. So the one thing that you know I've been foraging for for the past decade or so, uh, uh, pretty serious uh, about it. Um, you know, that's the thing that I've learned is that there are seasons, and it, and it's really not a broken up into this nice quarterly or monthly type of deal. Uh, different mushrooms come out at different times of the year according to humidity, according to uh, temperature all these different things that are going to affect um, what is out so really i i take plants i take animal movement i take fungus and that and i take all three of these things and i kind of get a mood for what the woods is and what is going to be out and what I need to be looking for rather than going into the woods and saying i want to find chicken of the woods mushrooms uh i i'm going to go into the woods and i'm going to think to myself you know what uh it, it's a good time to maybe do some raccoon calling and and maybe use uh some some boar sounds uh, from a call system and try to find a raccoon or uh maybe it's a good time for uh shiso it, it's it's blooming right now and i want to be able to use the the tips or whatever and cooking so so what i'm getting at is i and instead of trying to find something, going out with the idea of trying to find a specific thing, like we go to a grocery store and pick something up. I instead try to have a good handle on the seasons and and try to know what's going to be available and try to really direct where I need to go and how to direct my energy in the woods to be able to be as uh, bountiful as possible. So, um, so yeah, I, I really pay attention uh, on a daily basis Twice a day, three times a day, to temperature, uh, to what the temperature, uh, where the barometric pressure changes, uh, because that's really going to let me know kind of what to do, you know. Uh, And that's that one. There again, that's all information I've learned from being outside. You just have to go put the miles under your feet. That's it's that simple.
1: So yeah, and you know, and and on that, I think it's I think it's important to keep a journal for those things because. Yes. You know, if you're deer hunting or something like that and you're in the woods and, and all of a sudden you can, you know, like you said with the phone, we have all this information that we can, we can, oh, the barometric pressure is this. We don't have, necessarily have to call the weatherman up or have a device at our house, but we can look and say, okay, the barometric pressure is 30.01. The temperature is this. It's falling. It's rising. And we can jot that in our journal and we may notice, you know, and it's one of those things we, we may notice like how the deer, the turkey, the fish are biting. We notice how they yeah. move, but we, don't always relate that to the the foraging the, the 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 things that are growing from the ground and I think that's something that we need to really take you know it's like oh blackberries yes. were blooming on this day and the weather was this and it's been raining for three weeks or I yes. found some you know I found chanterelles after Absolutely. it after a big pour down rain I found chanterelles yes. in the runoff going down to the pond or whatever you know you're like oh you know so and it's really right. crazy but I think that's one of those things that it's really good. Like you said, I mean, my memory is not that great. Uh, I've, I've crammed too much stuff in here and, yeah. and you know, for me to remember like, Oh, the barometric pressure was on this day. So, you know, if I, I mean, write it, if I write it down this. then I'm on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I use
0: that. I drop a lot of pins, you know, and I, I put exactly where I found this, or I found that the date that I found it, I may set a reminder if I find chicken in the woods, I may send a reminder on that pin to hit me at uh, a certain time. Hang on, I'm at work. I'm oh, get it. Let me mute the screen real quick. You're good. Get it if you need it. I try to use I try to use the uh, uh, the the timing, so to speak, of the seasons to to really uh, to really get a firm grasp as to what I'm looking for. So let's just talk about like today. Let's just talk about like what I'm doing right now. What I'm trying to find. What I'm, what's out there right now. Right now there's chicken of the woods. It's a large uh, orange polypore, shelfing polypore. They're gonna be huge. They're gonna be this big. They're bright orange. They look super poisonous. Uh, there's nothing else in the woods that looks like them. You can spot them from a mile away. Uh, they're out right now. Uh, persimmons are dropping. Uh, do a quick Google of what a persimmon looks like and what persimmon bark looks like. Go out there uh, and try to find a persimmon tree. I guarantee, you're within a mile. If you're in West Tennessee, you're within a mile of a persimmon tree that's dropping persimmons right now. Uh, Another another thing is, uh, uh, you know, still hunting. Right now I'm trying to still hunt white-tailed deer. Uh, So uh, right now the the deer are still with their fawns, the does, uh, so I can do a doe distress call uh, and, and try to creep through the woods after a good rain and try to find a place maybe where they're bedding down and, and try to hit that doe distress call within 50 yards and have a doe come in and walk in on me. Uh, that's been my strategy as of late. Uh, it's It's kind of hard to do, man, to pull back and not spook the deer. That's been where I have been Falling short, so to speak, is that drawback with the bow they uh on, on foot, man they just they're they're better at seeing you and and smelling you and hearing you, you know so that's where I've kind of failed, but uh it's been fun to do that to kind of figure that out right now, so
1: yeah, I mean that's awesome, like you said, it's just like always developing new skills or honing skills that we haven't and when it comes to persimmons, uh you know like you' talking about the chicken in the woods. that's something I've been wanting to find, but you know I'm not a I'm not as a foraging expert as, as you are, but that's one thing I always love about you sharing things. But when it comes to persimmons, I want to know a little bit about how you how you use those. Because uh, in, in my undergrad, I, my, my, my degree was environmental science and wildlife. And we had a class about trees and we're walking around the property and we come to this tree and I know this is a persimmon tree. Cause I was like, well, I hunt around persimmon trees cause deer like persimmons. Yeah. And yeah. You know, growing up. My granddad had been like, "Hey, here you go. Try this." And you take a bite into it, and you're like, "That's like, you know, like your face turns yeah. all sorts of sour." And yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, and we get to this tree, and so I knew what this was. I was like, "Oh, well, there's persimmons on the ground. You know, there's a persimmon tree." I see, you know, kind of know what it is. And you know, he's like, "This is a fruit, and it is edible. You know, deer really like it." You know, and he didn't tell anybody what it was. But he said, "Would anybody like to try this?" And of course, you know, we've got a couple kids. You know, they they want to be the eager beaver, sit in the front of the class, make the teacher happy. And they start to take a they they grab it and I'm just like knocking the dude next to me. I'm like, this is gonna be great. Watch this. Yeah. And and they take and we're we're you know, we're half a mile from the from campus and we're off campus. So there's no there's no water to drink or anything. They're just, you know, that, that joker bit into – I mean it's like an apple eye, ah, you know, it just takes a huge bite. Yeah well his face just like you thought I mean it puckers up and he's just like you know and uh you know I kind of laugh I was like shitty slicker you know but uh, anyway um, uh, you know and he his face I mean he was just like tongue hanging out for the next you know 30 minutes which was funny to me but when you're talking about like you're getting persimmons how are you how would you use those because you know I believe that you know, I mean, people use lemons and limes, they're sour, but how would you, how do you use right. persimmons? I mean, cause right now they're dropping, but my thought has always been like, well, I'm just going to hunt around it. And I'm you know, it's kind of like, I let the deer eat them. I eat the deer, but how would, how do you, how do you utilize persimmons in, uh, in, in anything that you're going to be doing?
0: So right now, uh, so when they, when they're on the tree, uh, previous to this, they're, 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 they're hard and they're very bitter and they have a, almost a drying quality, uh, to them. Like you're describing when someone were eating, uh, when they, when they fall off the tree, by the time they fall off the tree, right about now, uh, they're going to have, they're going to have changed completely and they're going to be almost like a jelly or a jam consistency. And they're going to be high, high in sugar. They're gonna be just almost coinly sweet. They have, uh, uh, it, it's almost like a, a sweet jam. So the reason why you're gonna hunt around those trees are those deer and those raccoons are daily gonna be walking around those trees trying to find those sweet, uh, high sugary fruits that have, that have ripened and fallen to the ground. And so typically that's where we're going to collect them as well is once they've fallen off the ground. Pawpaws, uh, a similoba, is, is another fruit that at the end of September, you're actually gonna collect these off the ground. You, you don't wanna collect them up in the tree because they're not gonna be ripe. Uh, so I use the persimmons, uh, our, our favorite way, my business partner and I, our favorite way, of course, is to ferment them in beer. Uh, and we actually will have a, persim we've actually already made a persimmon saison that uses these fresh persimmons, um, but really, man, you can take them and just take a butter knife and spread them over a piece of toast. I mean, once to the, they're that point, and I mean, they're just—it's fantastic. It's so delicious. Uh, but there again, you've got to beat the deer. You've got to beat the raccoons to them. And here, this is a perfect illustration. You're, we're we're highlighting that animals themselves are using a season. They're 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 not going to be going around those persimmon trees in july because they know there's not going to be any fresh fruit uh dropping from them but th- there again in september and october they're going to start that um i recently uh last year collected a hornet's nest uh, with some friends and uh so i called an entomologist friend of mine uh in preparation to do so and i asked him and i was like hey you know when do i need to do this and he said well it's going to freeze in a few days and the hornets themselves are going to be somewhat insulated from that freeze. But once these things completely freeze over, uh, then there's going to be a raccoon that has planned his approach. And within a day of them freezing, he's going to rip that hornet's nest down and completely rip it to shreds and eat all the dead hornets and eat all the larva. And I just was like, wow, that's crazy that this, you know uh that there's a raccoon in the area that has already figured this out and has already planned out this meal waiting for these things and so we never gave them the opportunity we actually got the hornet's nest before they could do that but you know i've never seen a hornet's nest over winter and because of that reason raccoons will find them and wait for the hornets to die and and so just like we're waiting for seasons just like we're waiting for times for things to happen you know that's animals do the same thing so
1: look to them look to see what the animals are doing you know yeah i mean that's you know you think about it the um if you go back a couple of centuries that's probably how we learned how to hunt things you know you watched a mountain Absolutely. lion stalk up on a deer and you're like yes. oh you got to be real quiet and yep. you got it and you may have to get in the tree and jump on it or whatever you yep. know so yep. and that's what that's was crazy. crazy yeah and and you know whenever I, when i was elk hunting it was funny uh One of the guys I was with, they, they were experienced elk hunters and I was a newbie. And, and it's one of the reasons that now, like my passion for sharing the outdoors with new people has really been lit inside of me because I have, you know, they, they took me under their wing and I was like, well, everybody knows how to do this. But, you know, when it became elk hunting, the guys, he's like, this is where you become an elk hunter. He's like, elk hunting is different than deer hunting. He's like, if you know, deer hunting, you want to be super quiet. Never make a sound, yeah. And he told me he's like the only thing out here in the mountains that doesn't make a sound is a mountain lion, and that's really the only thing an elk is worried about.
0: Right. And, 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 and,
1: yeah. So he said so if you're coming, <laughs> so he's like so if all of a sudden you're within like fifty yards of an elk and a twig snaps, they're gone. He's like, but that's if right. you easy, but if you've just been kind of like if there's a rock kick every now and then, he's like they may look up, but their eyesight's not that great, but they're going to look to see is there a mountain line? And no, That's it's right. just yeah. it's just another elk. We're good, and and so it was almost like you have to learn those things. But you know, it's like like you said, watching the other things around us is going to teach us a lot. And, um, and it's really interesting about the 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 persimmon, you know, because I guess I always thought that kind of like an apple. If an apple falls on the ground and it looks all mushy, it's like uh, it's burnt. You know, it ain't no good yeah, anymore. Right. Like it's bad, yeah. and which which is really interesting. So uh, I'm gonna have to go gather up some persimmons. I know I know where one is right now. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, this is the opposite. It's going to look bad, and it's actually going to taste great. And uh, and so if it has that consistency of jam or like a overripe plum, uh, then you're going to be right on the money as far as uh, as far as that's concerned.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's that's really cool. I mean, I'm really pumped because that's uh, that's one know, of those. I... Go ahead. Well, I was
0: going to tell you, you know, uh, we're, we're we're talking about uh, hunting and and figuring out how to hunt things. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people they kind of have a bad perception of wild game because they've had either overcooked deer that's been camel soup in a crock pot with a deer loin cooked until it's like leather, or they've had duck poppers uh, from where someone shot a hundred ducks and breasted them out and threw away the rest. And then they smoked these things to death and jalapeno. I mean, I've, I've eaten my body weight in duck poppers. I'm not hating on them. They're great. Uh, but I think that's where kind of people stop. And then they've had of course, crappie filet or a catfish fry and, and that's kind of as far as people take it. And, uh, and that's very unfortunate because not only is this meat, uh, sustainable, uh, not only is it, uh, healthier than anything Tyson is going to put out or Smithfield or anyone like that. Uh, but this, um, really you're, you're selling yourself short by not opening the doors, uh, to the other meat that's in the woods and that's in the waters. Uh, so one of which I'd like to talk on is uh bobcat, man. It's probably my favorite meat in the woods. Wow. Uh,
1: yeah. Please expand. Yeah. yeah Cause I mean, Once again, that's another, you know, for as a predator, if I'm wanting to eat stuff, right, you want to, you, you kind of don't want other predators eating your stuff. So, and then if you can eat that predator, that's even better.
0: Yeah. So, so think about it. So, so most of the time when, when someone has a bad experience with a white tailed deer, it's because that fat, it's actually the fat that has that, those off gamey flavors that people don't enjoy. The same with a catfish man that's the first thing you want to do when you're cleaning a catfish is you want to take that fat off because it's going to give that that off taste uh but you think about a bobcat man he's a predator he doesn't have any fat so he's not going to have any fat that's going to contribute to any kind of off taste um you know most of the time when people are hunting bobcat it's uh it's an opportunity have you ever shot one have you ever killed one before
1: no i've i've seen them but you know it's kind of like a coyote they you're in the deer stand they come by and by the time you're like all right i'm gonna shoot that and you like they walk behind a tree and they never yeah. it's like they're like ghosts you know they're like oh yeah. they're gone you know they, if if you don't yeah. see them run off fears. sometimes you see them run off yeah the other day i had a coat. i was like oh there's a coat coming behind me and i'm like i'm like okay he's gonna come behind that tree and i'm I'm like getting ready a draw and he never came out from behind the tree but he never i, I was like we're like where did he go? But yeah, the bobcats coach I mean, him, they're they're yep. ghost ghostly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've had one yes, scream yes. at the base so of the deer I, stand I, in the dark. And and I when I was oh like Lord. twelve, yeah. I was like twelve, you know my dad, he's like, All right, you know, it takes me to the deer stand like forty-five minutes before daylight. So then he then he goes to his deer stand, I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden I heard this I thought I thought there was a woman being like tortured. Murdered at, yeah. Yeah, at the bottom of my deer stand. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. I just sat with my, my little 30 30 like pointing straight down the ladder for anything <laughs> that moved. I was just scared. Exactly. I was like, somebody's trying to kill me. All alone. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all alone. You know, and then later my, my dad's like, did you hear that bobcat? I was like, yeah, it was like, if that's what it was, it was beneath me, you know. Yeah. So yeah, but that's as close as I've come. I mean, I've seen them, but I've never, I've got never a shot one. at a bobcat.
0: I- I've never seen one out in the wild. I had never experienced one until I started hunting them. Uh, And and actually, uh, um, last week was the first time I've ever seen a bobcat in the wild where I wasn't hunting them. So that should just speak on how elusive these things are. But it's actually very interesting because the TWRA, they estimate that we have about 300,000 bobcat population in the state of Tennessee. That's a lot. That's an incredible amount. Uh, So we're, during the bobcat season, which starts November 28th, and I believe it's going to go from till February 28th instead of Tennessee, you can actually kill up to one a day. So that's a lot. Um, So that's telling me that uh, the TWRA has projected that these populations are getting to a point where they need to be managed more. Hence, you can go out and take as many as you want. So... I wanted to learn how to actually hunt these things and I did this uh, a few years ago uh, with starting with trial and error and basically what I realized was I had to put myself in their environment and so I was very lucky because the farm that I own has about 20 acres of woods that has been select cut which means it was an old older growth forest where they left the trees um, that were under a certain size. And so over the last six or seven years, the farm, those saplings have grown up in between the trees that were left. So it's very thick, very dense. You can't navigate through it. Uh, there's sawbriers everywhere. It's just um, a haven for cotton rats and um, uh, rabbits and bobcats. So I, I decided uh, after catching some of these guys on trail cans that I was gonna learn to hunt them. And so uh, it, was, it was very interesting. And so um, I tried different approaches and what I ended up coming on, and I'm gonna share this with everyone listening because it, it's, it just works 100% of the time. So what I ended up doing was I, I had a call system. I, I bought a, a cheap call system, uh, electronic creditor uh, call system. And I would go into the thickest, thickest spot I could possibly find. I'm talking, you know, full face cover, full, uh, just full camo and just really get into the sawbriars. Uh, I would do it when it was raining or right after rain to cover my scent, to cover my sound as I got into these thick areas. And then I would set up my call, uh, speaker system, maybe 20 yards in a clearing. I would find a clearing. And I would cover that up with a bunch of leaves. And then I have, my wife's a local artist, and I have pro decoys that she has made, and which you, you can also buy pro decoys from Dick's Sporting Goods or on Amazon or something like that. And I would actually put these pro decoys around the speaker system. And then I would sit with a shotgun uh, with no special loads. I would use like eight shot or six shot because I was, I was gonna be in close. And I realized uh, uh, after lots of trial and error, that's how these things operated. They wanted to get in close. So if they could get into an open area and scan the open area and know that it was a setup, I, they would never come in. I found this out after, after just hours and hours of, of, of trying. So I realized that I needed to take that advantage away from them and bring them in tight to me. So this setup, it worked perfectly. And after about an hour of calling, uh, like you said, a bobcat would just appear. You wouldn't hear it walk up. You wouldn't see it walk up. It would just be there. It would just appear. And I would go, my calls, the calls I would use, I would go between crows uh, and a dying rabbit. And so I was trying to simulate in the woods, the idea that uh, this rabbit was dying, these crows were taking advantage of the situation. The, uh, a lot of times it would bring in other crows, which would help paint the scenario for the bobcat. The other crows would go crazy. They'd sometimes land around. And, and, and I just would be in, in uh, briars, just a thick patch of briars, just motionless. and And just, you know, not moving, making sure that the wind was right in my face. And after about an hour's time, a bobcat would come in and and i did this uh four days in a row from the same stand and these were 30 pound plus bobcats uh three of them were males uh and this was in the exact same spot four days straight um and there are still plenty of bobcat and i've taken numerous bobcat from this spot and what's interesting are is that they're not territorial or are i'm sorry they're very territorial they don't uh they don't have packs like coyotes can be in. So that just goes to show you that the population, the numbers are are crazy. It's, it's a huge population, but they're just so good at not being seen, you know. So <clears throat> I mean that's just been a fantastic experience. So the hams and the back straps uh, are my favorite part to eat. Uh, and then of course you keep the pelts, uh, you keep the, the, the dew claws because they're cool, uh, I keep the skulls. I try to use every part of this creature that I can. So,
1: man, that is that's awesome because you know you think about a cat and be like, oh, a kitty cat, you don't want to eat it. And right. it's kind of like you know, I have I have friends who have had who they do they do the safari adventures and that sort of thing, right. and and they talk about like zebra is a delicious meat, but here in the United States, we're like, well, it's a horse? You don't eat it, you know, but like. Right. How many times do you read the the tales of the frontiersmen and they're like, all right, it was either me or the horse? Like one of us is gonna oh, die. Yeah. And so yeah. like I'm gonna eat my horse, you know, I'm gonna live inside Absolutely. my horse. That's gonna be my like my shelter. And you know, and and you know, I hate to think about it that way, and a lot of people don't think about it that way, but you know, like you said, there's three hundred estimated three hundred thousand bobcats. I mean, we can all if every hunter in the state killed one, there would still be plenty.
0: Oh, yeah, there'd still be a, a a sustainable, healthy population. Yeah, probably and still so too many. To, that's right. There, this gets back to hands-on conservation. Yeah. California recently, you know, they voted to not uh, uh, issue uh, kill tags for mountain lions. Well, then their, their, uh, their conservation, their state conservation uh, 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 government had to go out and actually cull mountain lions. Well, then the, the, the people in California, they got all upset about it. Well, it doesn't matter. Even though they weren't hunting them, we still had to manage that population. And that's the unfortunate thing about North America. What we've done is that over 400 years' time, we've made a scenario, a, a uh, uh, different biomes where it takes us, for them to be healthy, it takes us to have hands-on conservation. We have to kill as many deer as we can. That's the sad truth. Um, And if we don't, we're going to get diseases like CWD, uh, which we will have unless we kill just, I mean, I'm talking, you go out and kill 20 deer this year. I go out and kill 20 deer this year. Everyone listening goes out and kills 20 deer. And maybe that slows
1: down CWD. Maybe. But that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I mean, because you're you're in West Tennessee. And the CWD, if it's not where you are, it's in your backyard. It's Uh, in my backyard. Yeah, I'm in middle Tennessee and thankfully there's, there's, we have, you know, there's a river that's hopefully going to kind of stop that spread, but all it takes is, you know, one person bring in a carcass across the river and then it spreads and, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. and deer can swim, so you, that could happen too, but you know, for me, like I, I, I encourage the people that, and those that are around where we hunt, like kill, kill does and kill them. Kill them kill early, many. yeah. But kill them you, all.
0: That's right.
1: Kill them early, you know, because people are like, yeah. oh, I'm waiting on that big buck. And I was like, well, if you will, you know, early season kill five or six does, where well, yeah. your freezer is full, now you can wait on the big buck, and that big buck is going to have to, like, he can't stay in one spot and have like ten does come to him, and him just be That's like, right. all right, you know, y'all come over here, I ain't moving, and right, and instead, like, he's going to have to go out and find them, and you got a better shot at killing a big buck. You know, because everybody's yeah. "Oh, I want the antlers," but like, I mean, I, I can't tell you that. I mean, I killed a big deer in a couple of years ago, but I mean, I haven't killed very many bucks, and that's because I. I, I, like, I don't either. I, I'm not a horn hunter. I, I, yeah. I, I, I haven't. I have yet. My my, my granddad, he's it. I've yet to figure out how to cook those things. That's so, right. You, so, can't you know. And, cook the yeah. You know. And 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 for me, like, I mean, I will, uh, and maybe you can speak to this. <laughs> Excuse me, but, uh, I've. I, I will, I love taking new people hunting. And if, if it's somebody, if it's a young kid or somebody's never hunted before and it's a little four spike and they want to shoot it, I have no problem with that. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but you know, for me, if that four spike walks up, I'm going to like, I'm going to let him walk, but I will shoot that doe over there or I'm going to try to yes. shoot a mature deer. You know? So for me, it's like, I want a mature doe. I want a mature buck instead of, you know, but if it's, if you're brand new, like hey you, and, and like some people say like it this is your trophy of a lifetime like you've My never killed a deer year, that force bike is going to be like you know massive yeah. and so that's the way I, I look at it and i think that you know like you said like we need to i don't know i mean it there's there's the earn a buck theory there's all these kind of different things but i think it's really important that we look at how we can just improve our population and and when you're speaking of like the bobcats, it's crazy that there's that many, and and it, they're they're going to do nothing but grow, and and the population will, you know, double, triple, uh, almost overnight. You know, hey, and
0: yeah, coyotes the, yeah, the damn the planet. Do what? I said the coyotes are probably the most adaptive mammal other than us on the planet. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we've already seen an influx of coyotes uh, coming into Tennessee. Uh, but, but right now, I, I mean, as far as the CWD is concerned, as far as deer management, I can't stress enough to people across the state kill as many deer as you can. It may, it may impact uh, the herd numbers in a way that. It, just ever so slightly, but it's gonna be so important that each of us, every one of us, to because that's how transmission happens with CWD, is these large populations. And just think for every deer that you see, it's just like a cockroach, there's a dozen that you don't see. So kill as many this year, make it your mission to just kill as many as you can, make as much jerky and sausage and everything that you can do. Uh, And if there's any legislators, man, that are listening to this, they they need to wax up some of these laws so that we can be able to freely exchange game meat to people that are non-hunters that want it. I mean, that's, that's, that's going to be key to this.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and like you said, and and what's really important, I think what you said was, you you said kill as many as possible, but you're not killing them and letting them lay. Like you're, when you kill them, like you are, you're using that meat. Every bit of it. And, and I think it's really important, you know, and like, you know, selling of game meat is not legal, um, all that stuff. But I think it's really important, especially in times like this, and, and I've found through the whole pandemic, it's been interesting, is I have some friends who live, you know, in downtown Nashville, and they're like, man, I can't find meat. And yeah. we've been able to give them some meat, or yeah. they'll come over and we'll cook some meat, and they're like, this is really good and it's opened that conversation to where you know they were you know like they were either you know only would eat chicken uh you know yeah. they were borderline vegetarian or whatever and but now like we're planning a deer hunt you know and they're like hey how do I hunt I'm like here take the online hunter safety course that's right you know, and yeah. take that like you're over 21 so you don't even have to have a shooting day you just take the course and then buy your license you know, and then, and, and i just tell them, I'm like, I got the camo, I got crossbows, I have rifles, I've got everything you need, you know, we're just going to, like, you tell me when you're ready, we'll go sit in the deer stand, and we'll, oh. you know, you shoot it, you know, I'll show you how to clean it, we will freeze it, and you'll have a freezer full of meat that you yeah. don't have to worry about, that you know where it came from, and, and, um. You laid your hands on it throughout the entire way, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that's key. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, uh. I'm I'm not a big proponent of of uh, say Joe Rogan's podcast uh, just because mainly you know there, there's a there can be some very 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 colorful language used and sure. and you know so you know if I'm riding in the truck with my kids like I'm not going to put yeah. that on <laughs> but there is one thing that, I, that that helped me a lot when it came to talking to the vegetarians the vegans the, those that didn't hunt was he had a conversation with Russell Brand, the comedian, which can also be a very colorful language guy. and yeah. But if you like YouTube it, you don't have to listen to the whole three hours, but it's those two guys talking about hunting and being a vegan. And it was the most civil conversation that you would have between a hunter and a vegan ever. And Russell Brand at the end and Joe Rogan both, they agreed that the reason – you know, Russell Brand is like, I'm a vegan and this is why. Joe Rogan said, I'm a hunter, and this is why. And it was the same reason. It was like, I don't want to go to a a place and get a hamburger that is the culmination of 900 cows. I don't want to have a chicken that's been eating its own poop. And and they were both, like, in the same, like, that's why we do what we do. And it was the most civil, like, and it was, and I think for those that hunt, instead of, ah, you're a vegan, blah, blah, blah. I think listening to that conversation really helped me get in my mind, like, these are the things that we need to talk about. And I think what you're doing with a lot of the foraging and those sort of things, you know, like while I go we were talking about your event coming up. I actually just text a friend of mine who lives in downtown Nashville and I was like, hey, you like beer, right? And he's just text like, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, all right, how can I like maybe get him and we can come to your event and that you'll kind of introduce him to the outdoors yeah. in this, like, hey, we're gonna forage stuff, we're gonna make beer. And, you know, because I'm like I'm like I like, and I know that he'll he'll enjoy it, and but it's going to get him introduced in the outdoors. So you know, I think that that's really important that we welcome yeah. other people in and share what we share the bounty of of the good Lord's you know wilderness. That's
0: right. You know, it's interesting. You said uh, my wife's actually a vegetarian, uh, and and so and at my household, we most of the meat that we eat is comes from the woods and my kids they they know they don't know any different they look forward to certain seasons they look forward to uh, you know deer season when we can get some jerky uh, but the the same reasons my wife is a vegetarian is the same reasons like you said that I'm a hunter uh, it's just that it's not sustainable for us to have three square meals a day with processed meat we're, we're, we're raising. Most of the food that we're raising is actually animal feed and they do a poor job at converting those calories and that energy into then, uh, calories and energy for us. You know, the way I look at it is that, that turkey or that possum or that, uh, raccoon or bobcat or whatever, it just had five bad minutes at tops. It, uh, you know, and if you did it right, it, it maybe only had 30 bad seconds of its entire life and it didn't die of starvation, it didn't die of disease, it didn't die a gruesome, brutal death from a predator, because I guarantee those bobcats or coyotes aren't going to be as quick as my 270, you know, Um, so that's the way I look at it, and and I I honor them, Uh, it doesn't get easy, Um, I I don't like the act of killing, Uh, it's yet to get easy for me, uh, and I've done it a lot, Um, it's yet to be something that doesn't have a sense of finality once it's done uh, that's sometimes gets me choked up man you know it's hard it's hard to kill an animal but uh it's the right thing to do you know it's the right thing to do
1: <laughs> yeah and and, and you talk about the foraging that you do like you're going out and you're you're picking out what you need you're not going out and wiping out a six acre you know field that's and right. where, where you're just getting like here the, I'm getting the tip of this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm only gonna get a portion of this yeah. so that it can still multiply and be there next year or be there yep. for somebody else. I and, don't hunt
0: ginseng for that reason. Yeah,
1: right. and, and 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 you know, like I mean, if you were looking for money, ginseng would be the thing to go after. But you you know, you're you're like, all right, I'm you know, if you go after like a mushroom, like you may not, you're not gonna take it all or anything like that you're going to take what you need and that's it and you're not going to be killing a bunch of rodents and 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 insects and and things that will actually help spread and pollinate you're not going to you're not going to be killing all that stuff by wiping out a you know a 10 acre field after you sprayed a bunch of stuff on it you're going out finding exactly what you need and that's it yep and 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 you know
0: uh, you know, you're you're talking about not being able to sell wild game. Uh, you know, those laws uh, really. You know, honestly, I don't I don't see I don't understand why two consenting adults um, couldn't. Why that is illegal, as far as food safety is concerned. You know, we run a kitchen, a restaurant up here at Perry Logic. Uh, I'm very familiar with food safety. Uh, I process all my own game. Uh, you know, of course we have the brewery here. Uh, I'm very familiar with safety protocol. I, I, I I don't understand why it is illegal for me to be able to sell game because there are, there is a big group of people out there that would like to have wild game that don't are unable to hunt or they don't want to hunt. They don't want to process it. But the thing is, man, it's six hours of my time to process a deer period end of story it's no matter how I slice it no pun intended it's six hours of my time uh, to, to fully process it to get it into turkey to get it into sausages to get it into roast and freeze it and you know go through the whole ordeal uh, so you know I, I think that uh, I think that we could probably loosen up some of these laws between consenting adults Tennessee could and that actually might help motivate hunters to do more because there's gonna get a limitation in my freezer, there's gonna be a limitation in your freezer, Uh, and, and we need people, I mean, that's the mission this year, man, is we need people killing as many deer as we possibly can to stop the spread of this cryogenic disease because what you don't understand, what most people don't understand is these prions once they make it into the environment they're going to be there they're going to be there for decades they're going to be there for a long long time they're going to get into our groundwater they're going to get into other animals they're going to get into us Uh, and 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 it, it can't be destroyed you can't uh you know you can't freeze it you can't cook it you can't do anything about it and so right now we have a task and i don't think Billboards and, and, and pamphlets and newsletters that the TWRA is sending out is not enough. It's gonna take us the hunters. We have to go out there right now and just slaughter and kill as many deer, process as many of them, give them my local sheriff's department actually takes deer in. You can shoot a deer, you can take it right to them, the inmates or whoever processes it, and then-
1: that is an amazing idea. Which I'm gonna to have to bring that up to our sheriff's department.
0: What I was getting at is the the thing we need to do the most this year is kill as many deer as we possibly can. That needs to be our absolute focus. Is to just get those numbers down. The population will rebound, but it will slow the spread of
1: CWD. Just kill. You can kill three doe a day. Just get them down. Get those numbers down. Yeah, and and when it comes to the oh, you know everybody's yelling about how the cows are farting and polluting the environment, like if you have more deer in the freezer you eat less cows and you need less cows so you know it's like it, it's it's it makes sense that it all the way around um but like you said i think some of it is going to have to be some legislation maybe some education and yeah. you know and, and I, you know, I feel like you know, we can like say, quote unquote give the meat away and and um i don't know i guess we could possibly if we killed it um if somebody wanted it, we could take it to a processor and and somebody else could pay the processing fee to have the deer uh, done. And yeah, that,
0: that's a good that's a that's a good point. Absolutely. Yeah, you know,
1: and, and, you know, but there's a lot of people that are not processing as much because of the CWD. You know, so it's kind of like if you find a good processor, you're like, hey, it's going to be you know 75, 80 bucks, whatever. But I I'll take the deer there you know, and, and That's a good, it, yes, you know, That's it's 75 bucks for deal. them to yeah. fix it up. And then you, you, it's all yours. Um, yeah. you know, it's cause like, you know, I love to hunt, but my freezer is full, you know, but I want to improve the prop, my property or whatever it is. And so that, there's an idea right there. Maybe you know, like, let somebody else cover the processing fee. Yeah. And, cause you know, like, then I guess you're not, it's, it's, you're not illegally selling the meat kind of thing.
0: That's right. You know, I have a, uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, I you know that during deer season, they're obviously they're asking me for jerky and they're asking me for sausage and and of course, and ground meat and stuff like that. and I have, of course, I love to share it. Um, I also have people that come over during processing days, like during deer hunting days. Uh, and that brings me back to another interesting thing, rabbit hole that I've been going down here lately is is an actual deer drive. Um, so, so in the state of Tennessee, when we're talking about deer drives, uh, there's a reason why we have the laws that we have dealing with buckshot and things like that. And a lot of that has to do with the deer drive. If, if there is a way in which you want to completely eradicate a deer population, the way to do that is to have as many deer drives as you possibly can. So as far as sustainability, this is not the method to go. But I myself have been interested in it because it's a way that you could get younger people involved that aren't necessarily, uh um able to hunt or ha- uh, use a firearm uh they're at that in-between stage in their life but they want to be involved or maybe uh you have friends that couldn't really pull the trigger but they want some deer meat and they want to be there to help you process so that's what you could do you, you could do a deer drop uh you know uh, so be careful uh, look up your your state and local regulations when it comes to this but that's an ancient i mean it doesn't get much older than that i mean yeah. this isn't something that that is a lot of people think of like the Northeast when it comes to deer drives. Or really, this is like native Americans, pre-native Americans, you know, prehistoric man. Uh, and, and for those listening that don't know what a deer drive is, it's, it's where you have a group of people that essentially, uh, uh, walk through the woods at a spaced out, uh, a certain rate that's spaced out and try to push game. Towards another group of people, uh, based off of the topography of the environment. So you're kind of using the terrain to your advantage to say, okay, we're going to flush game, whatever that game may be, towards other people down here that are going to be prepared to uh, prepared to take the, the game. So that's something that I've recently—it's been on my radar—that I want to I want to delve into. I want to try doing. Uh, I, I know there's, it's dangerous obviously because you have people walking towards other people with firearms or, or what have you. Um, so there's a safety aspect involved, but I, I, I just think that would be a something just as primal as you could get, you know, uh, Yeah, just uh, friends and family walking through the woods, pushing game out, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. And, 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 you know, like I told you, my, my friend, Tony Turnbow, he's also done a lot of research on, uh, those who lived along the Natchez trace, uh, long before the Europeans got here. And, you know, whether it be, you know, you look back in history, whether it's a woolly mammoth or, or if it, even if it's bison, you know, we've seen these piles of bison at the base of a cliff and it's just, and, you know, they were, they would pretty much run the bison until they got to this cliff edge. So they could either kill Mm -hmm. them or the, they would fall off the cliff and they're dead and then they go get the meat. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's one of those things right. that it was, you know, before you had a high-powered rifle and you could shoot them at, you know, half a mile away, that was how you did it. And so I think that is a great way of, you know, we don't want to go the, the route of the bison where we almost exterminate anything, but, right. you know, but, but like you said, like getting other people involved and it makes it a little more, um, you know, where you might, you might, that's a great idea of, you know, getting people involved or just getting them out there and, you know, because sometimes sitting in a cold deer stand for three yeah. days in a row just to yeah. hopefully get a shot is a turnoff. But if you're like, hey, we're going to walk through the woods. Yes. Know? And yes. then at the and end, see we've results got. Right now. Right.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, and
1: he, the results. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, man, hey, this has been awesome. And I hope everybody is kind of just triggered a little bit about their, their, conservation aspect and just the way that we can actually impact and help, you know, whether it be foraging, whether it's, it's, it's predator hunting, it's taking, making sure that we take care of our deer population. And you, you're, I mean, you, you have some great ideas and you're always putting up, you know, Instagram, you're showing the things that you're doing to improve your land, improve the, the, the population, the, the things that you're cooking, things you're foraging. And it's, and it's awesome. Uh, But, how can other people find find you, and and then share a little bit about some of the things that you have coming up? Uh, you know where you're going to be inviting folks in to do things there with you. Sure, sure. Well,
0: uh, I'm I'm on Instagram at, at lodge.jonathan. Um uh, Of course, follow our Perry Logic uh, Facebook page. Uh, make sure you follow that. We always have events going on up here. Uh, that Wild Forage uh, Beer Fest is coming up November 7th, that's Saturday. We'll have a band playing. Uh, we'll either do it inside the brewery or we'll do it outside depending on the weather. Uh, you know, COVID has really put a damp on uh, some of the programs that I've been doing with the different wildlife uh, resource agencies in the area. Uh, but but follow me on Facebook uh, and on Instagram when those kind of get back started again, uh, this is actually my second zoom foraging thing in two weeks. so this this I guess might be the new norm as far as getting the message out there. Uh, but the thing I can't stress enough to everyone listening is go outside. just like just go outside. It's the best thing you can do for your body. Uh, it's the best thing you can do for your mind. Turn off the TV, get off the internet, and and go outside, uh, and you you'll you'll be humbled to say the least. Yeah. So.
1: And on that, it's funny that a lot of these studies have shown that vitamin D is one of the deficient things that may increase your chance of getting sick. You know, so it's just like get outside, get some exercise, get some vitamin D, and you're harder to That's kill. Right. No matter no matter what comes at you no matter if it's a That's right. You know if there's a Absolutely. if it's somebody or a crazy disease or a wild animal, you like if you're outside and you're harder to kill, then you know that you're you're gonna survive. So yep. yeah. That's awesome. So yeah real Absolutely. quick. So one one of the last Brooks questions. It's been a pleasure man. Thank yep. you so much. Yeah my pleasure but one of the last questions is yeah. is you you can hunt anywhere. You can hunt anything you can hunt with uh-huh. anybody you want. So what do you, who are you going with? What are you going after? And, and this is like the ultimate dream hunt. So what is it?
0: Yeah, uh, you know, my ultimate dream hunt would probably be uh, one of the Tennessee elk. I would love to be able to earn a tag uh, through the lottery. It's a cool system that they have. Uh, out in East Tennessee. I'd love to be able to go and and hunt a Tennessee elk and I you know as far as hunting with anyone man I would probably have to say my boy Hank Shaw. He's a forager, hunter, gatherer. Uh, I follow him on Instagram. Uh, He's someone that I look up to. He's based out west. Uh, check him out, buy his books. Uh, but that would be my dream run, and that's an excellent question,
1: man. Awesome, yeah. Well, man, hey, Jonathan, thanks so much for tu- for coming in. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Man, I this has been really eye opening, and I'm I mean I- I'm pumped just to uh, I- I'm I'm gonna try to figure out how I can get up there with you, spend some time with you. But all right, everybody, stay humble, be hungry, and get Absolutely. healthy. Don't make a sound I'm feeling pretty good About putting something down